Our children may now be dismissed for Children's Church as the rest of us find the book of 1 John in our Bibles. I know Romans falls open naturally when you open your Bible. 1 John is where we'll be this morning. It's near the end of your, your Bibles. There's a cluster of books that begin with the letter J right before Revelation. And that's the first of those. 1 John. And while you're finding it, I just want to ask you a rhetorical question. I wonder, do you want revival for yourself and for our church? Well, good. Do you, I wonder if you feel the need for a refreshing, a, um, a revitalization, a, a new, fresh breath of life into your hearts and your life and our church. I wonder if you feel the need for that, if you're tired and um, maybe discouraged or just stressed out. Um, Does anybody fall into that category here? A couple of people? Okay, well good. I have good news for you. Uh, I think that we have a Lord that loves us very, very much and that he wants to see us refreshed and revived. And um, I did a lot of thinking about revival when I first came to the church because I've been a part of a lot of revival gatherings where the goal seemed to be to try to just stir it up somehow with a lot of uh, fiery sweat flying off the face preaching, which, you know, that's not quite my style. Um, during those revival services, I almost felt like the pastor was trying to extract revival out of me and the other people in the pews, and it never seemed to work. So, let's think clearly about revival as we seek revival in these days to come, today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. We are not having revival like you have chicken fingers at Chili's. You can't just come with your bib on and your knife and your fork and sit there and say, Okay, God, I'll have it now. I'll have the revival now. Sounds delicious. But we can seek revival. That's a biblical idea. That we would humble ourselves, that we would pray, that we would uh, take a fresh look at our own hearts. That we would allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and would turn from it. We can seek revival, but uh, we, we can't give it to you. So if you're going to find revival, you need to be seeking it. And if you are seeking it, if you will seek it with us, I really believe that we'll find it. I think that what God has written to us in the, in the book of 1 John will be very helpful to us and to you. 1 John it was written by John, as you may have guessed. The same John that was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus had his 12 that he really poured into. And then within the 12, he had three that he really, really poured into. John was one of those. So John got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. He, got to, he was the one who was leaning up against Jesus during the Last Supper. They sat really close during uh, Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. John is the one that outran Peter to the tomb to see that Jesus had risen from the dead. John is the one that Jesus looked down from the cross and said, John, take care of my mom now that I'm dying and I won't be here. So that's who wrote this. So keep that in mind as we read it. Uh, as for why he wrote this book, 
There are lots of reasons, and he states them all in here. I'll read them to you real quick so you get an idea of what John's frame of mind was. He, he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In chapter 2, he says, my little, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. A little later in chapter 2, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers. Any fathers in here? Because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. A little later, he says... I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. And then a little later on, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And I think there's more in there. He's he's got a lot of motivation for writing this book. He wants the readers to know Jesus and to respond knowing what Jesus has done for us and really, really live. So the reason Justin and Jeff and I settled on this book in particular for revival is because it's rich with life. What it means to truly live in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, So for this morning, I just want to introduce the book. Uh, Justin and Jeff are going to do a really good job preaching from 1 John in the days to come. My goal is simply to introduce it. We're going to look at the first four verses together. And I think it will set the stage for what's to come in revival. So the sermon in a sentence, if you want to just go ahead and go to sleep after this, if any of you are really sleepy. The sermon in a sentence is this. Okay? Everybody listening? Everybody ready? Revival is found in Jesus. That's the big idea. And let it sink in. It sounds cliche, but it's rock-solid truth that we need to remember. And in these first four verses, I'm just going to point out to you three facts about Jesus that I want you to keep in mind as we seek revival together. Okay? So if you're able, I'll ask that you would stand with me as we read from God's Word. We'll read 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes to your word this morning. We want to be revived. So we come to you humbly asking, 
like little children to their father? Would you please revive us, refresh us? We come to you acknowledging that revival is found in Jesus Christ alone. But we also come to you acknowledging that that's often hard for us to understand what that means. How do we, how do we receive revival from Jesus? Lord, I trust that you're going to make that clear to us, that you're going to do that for us. So we ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Three facts about Jesus that we need to remember as we seek revival. Because revival is found in who? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. Fact number one. Jesus is not new. Jesus isn't new. And I get that from verse one where he says, That which was from the beginning. This paragraph is strangely worded, but all of these descriptions he's saying is they are about Jesus, who he calls the word of life. And Jesus was from the beginning. So some of you may think in your desire, and when you feel the need for refreshment and revitalization, you may think that you need something new, some new idea. Maybe there's some new, new book out there on the shelves that will help me. Maybe some new article I can find. Maybe some new magazine I can find it in. Maybe some new friend, maybe some new situation, some new place to live, something new. Revival is found in Jesus, and Jesus is not new. Now in 1 John, I mean this is 1 John, in regular John, John's biography of Jesus, he begins it in a similar way, and I want to read that to you. This is from the Gospel of John. In uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This one paragraph is very similar to a lot of what John talks about. But what I want you to notice is that Jesus is called the Word. Words are powerful. Yeah, at our house, we crack down on our kids when they use their words in the wrong way. When they, We call it potty talk. You can imagine with kids their age, the jokes that they think are funny. It's not that what they're saying is like horribly sinful, but words are important. and We need to recognize the power of them. How did God create everything? He spoke it. And then when Jesus comes, he is the word manifested in a person. Now, think about where you might want to turn to find something refreshing and something new. I did a little research about new words. According to the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, there are approximately 2.2 million new books published every year around the world. 2.2 million new books. Books are constantly pouring into the bookstores, into the libraries. New ideas, new theories, new novels, new stories. To put that in perspective, that's about 90 new books published during the time span of this sermon. That's a lot of new words. According to Technorati, which is a it's a uh, 
very authoritative website about blogs. Some of you may not know what blogs are. Uh, blogs are websites that anybody can, can establish where they can write whatever they want. And it's, it's short for web log. It's almost like an online journal. So people have, I bet there's many in this room that have a blog. Guess how many new blogs are born every second? There's two new blogs born every second around the world. So a half blog is born, I mean, uh, a blog is born every half second. Okay? All these new words pouring forth. That, to put that into perspective, there's 90 new books published during the time frame of this sermon, about 20 minutes. There are 2,400 new blogs established during the time frame of this sermon. There are a lot of new words being published and put out there. Last one. According to Twitter, anybody on Twitter? All right. Not a ton, a couple. Twitter is, that, I mentioned it last Sunday, it's this uh, website where you just, you sign up and you can put out these little 144 character tweets, these little blurbs, little, little sentences, basically. There are over 50 million tweets per day on average on this website. 50 million. So to put that in perspective, that's just under 700,000 tweets, new, new tweets that you could see on your Twitter account just in the time frame of this sermon. So we'll be together. You'll be listening to me talking to you for about 20 minutes. I know the smell of fried chicken is going to start wafting in and it's going to get harder for you to focus. During that 20-minute time frame, 90 new books could have been published. I don't know if they're publishing them on Sunday morning, but, you know, in that 20-minute time frame, 90 new books, 2,400 new blogs, just under 700,000 new tweets. Okay. You could devote the rest of your life trying to keep up with the new words, and you would never even scratch the surface. I mean, who knows what all these books are about, what all these blogs are about, what all these tweets are about, and all the other things that I didn't even research. They're just pouring out, pouring out. But there's one word that has stood the test of time and that has been with us from the very beginning. How many of those tweets, blogs, books will be remembered ten years from now? Hardly any of them. But Jesus remains. So... This fact one about Jesus, you just need to remember that Jesus is not new. Jesus is the same soul-saving, spirit-reviving, life-giving word that has been with us from the beginning. So if you're tired and you're worn out and you need revival, you don't need anything new. You need Jesus. Okay, fact two, Jesus is real. I get this from verses one and two. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. I told you about some of the revival services I have experienced growing up. 
I think what I expected in those services, and I don't know what you expect, you know, if you think God is going to revive us as a church and you as an individual, I don't know what you expect, but I always expected some sort of metaphysical experience to wash over me and just bring me to life. Like one of those things at the uh, car dealerships that the wind blows up in, I was just going to come to life all of a sudden. And I wouldn't be able to explain it. It was going to be some strange, weird, vague, emotional, spiritual thing was going to happen. I had no clarity in my mind, nothing concrete. I just hoped that some general thing was going to happen. And it often didn't. Now, I don't mean to say that there are no emotional experiences related to being revived. The Holy Spirit is real. You know, in Acts chapter 2, we see him bust through and people start seeing flames on everybody's head and start speaking in tongues. and That's very real. But my point here is that Jesus is not some vague spiritual idea. Jesus is real. He really walked on the earth. He really ate food. He really palled around with his disciples. They really saw him. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. This guy who wrote this actually heard Jesus' voice, his accent, the way he sounded. He saw him, he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes. This guy who wrote this book actually saw Jesus with his eyes, just like you see me right now, and I see you. They saw him when he woke up in the morning. And his hair was all tussled from sleeping. They saw him as he got tired, as he got bags under his eyes. They, they saw him. He was a real man. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. They touched Jesus. He had a real body. He is real. I know that seems silly to have to point out, but I think sometimes we let it slip into this sort of mythical idea of Jesus. But he was so much more than that. He was a real, he's a real person. They felt his embrace when he hugged them. Thomas got to see his mangled hands after he rose from the grave. He says, the life was made manifest in verse 2, and we have seen it. This is what it says, and, I, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. To be made manifest means to be made visible and clear and plain. So as you're seeking revival, don't, don't be seeking some vague metaphysical, experiential thing that you're not really clear on what it is or what it means. Maybe it'll happen to you. Maybe it won't. Seek Jesus. You see, the fact that he was a real man and made real claims to be the one way, the one truth, the one life, means that we need to approach him as real people approaching a real person. We have a real decision to make. Is he who he claimed to be or is he not? We have real belief to put in him, real confidence. Do we believe that he is our Savior, that we're loved and cleansed and forgiven and adopted by God through him? 
Do we really believe it or do we not? Do you see the clarity I'm, I'm aiming for here? Let's be clear and concrete about the way we seek Jesus because he's real. Okay, fact number two. Jesus is not new. Jesus is real. I'm sorry, fact three. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Let's read the first three verses again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when you think about true life, like real, really living, what do you envision? I mean, what is real living to you? You know, if you could, if you could shed the things that hold you back and you could go really live, what would that entail? So I think sometimes we think that real, abundant, true life is a matter of being in the right places or doing the right things. But what the Bible teaches is that real, true life is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the life. So we have all these magazines that have the word living in the titles of them. And many of us subscribe to these and read these magazines thinking, this is what living looks like. Country living. Cottage living. Has anybody seen these magazines? I don't subscribe to cottage living. Martha Stewart living. Coastal living. Locally, we have Charlotte living. There's one called healthy living. And people look at these and they're like, man, that is a well put together room. If I was sitting in that room right now, I would be living. Man, this is what healthy living looks like. If I was healthier, then I would be living. Look at whatever Martha Stewart talks about. (laughs) That is living. And maybe some of you will be blessed to experience some of these things we see in magazines. But if you think that you're going to find real life there, you're going to get there and be really disappointed. Because real life is Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to really living. The further you stray from Jesus, the further you get from really living. So you could be in living in a pottery barn catalog and not really be living. Or you could be in a van down by the river but be really close to Jesus Christ And really, really be living. So if you need revival, you need Jesus. Because revival is found in... You weren't sure if I wanted you to say it or not, were you? (laughs) Revival is found in... Jesus. Jesus. That's right. So, to conclude, I came across something in uh, Christian Century 
magazine is actually a website where they had put out a challenge to a bunch of different pastors and writers to explain the gospel in seven words or less. So as you think about Jesus, I want to read you some of the responses of what Jesus, who he is, what he did for us in seven words or less. One of them wrote, in Christ, God calls all to reconciliation. Another one, God was in Christ reconciling the world. God, through Jesus Christ, welcomes you anyhow. In Christ, God's yes defeats our no. I like this one. God was born, we can be reborn. Once dead, now alive, Christ reshaping people. And last one, Christ offers new life for all. You know, the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, the fact that he came, he lived the life that we failed to live. He died the death that we had earned with our sinfulness. Rose from that death, proving that he was who he claimed to be. The one way, the one truth, the one life. That if we trust in him, that if we give ourselves to him and acknowledge him as our Lord and follow him, that we can be completely cleansed and completely forgiven and completely liberated from our sin. This gospel, it's not just what begins our Christian life and then we move on from that and try to figure things out. It's how we live every day. And if we need revival, we need to return back to it. To Jesus, who he was, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing. Uh, An author that I like to read has said that the gospel isn't just the ABC of Christianity. It's the A through Z of Christianity. This is the whole thing. So revival is found in Jesus. Jesus, who is not new, who is real, who is life. And in a moment, we're going to sing together again. We're going to sing about Jesus. That's part of our seeking revival in him. I want to invite you to come forward and pray during this time. I was approached by two folks in the church this morning who very specifically wanted to come forward and pray at the end of the service that we would be revived. And also specifically for our youth group, it was something that was on their hearts. Um, So as they come and pray, I invite you to come and pray. As we sing together, if you don't feel inclined to come pray, you know, just lift your voice and praise Jesus from where you are. You can pray together. You can pray by yourself. No one's going to bother you. Let's humble ourselves and pray and seek God and repent of our sins. And maybe he will revive us in a way that we've never experienced before. Let's pray together before I invite Sandy to come up and lead us. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, we acknowledge that revival is only found in him. And I pray for your church and for myself that you would show us what you mean when you say that Jesus is life. Show us in real, clear, concrete, practical ways what it means for us to experience that life. Lord, may your will be done in this church. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.